This is Clay from Skilled Gentleman Podcast. You're listening to today's survival show with Bob Maine, because we all can't be MacGyvers in real life. Hi folks, Bob Maine here with another episode of today's survival show. Helping you do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. This is episode number 275 of today's survival show and as i've said in the past i like it when when listeners of mine take an active role in this podcast and and do things like uh, interviewing other people and submitting it to me and and the reason i like this is because you know i kind of consider my podcast as a conduit for sharing ideas on modern survival and being a prepper which i think with the climate, and I'm talking about the political climate and what's happening in the USA right now, I I think, I'm not real confident in the results of the election coming up. Let's just put it that way. And of course, you know, I've, I've lost confidence in government a lot over the last 10 or 12 years. But I'm really losing very much confidence in it right now, to the point where I think it's going to start getting bad and and you know what James Wesley Rawls writes in his novels and what Glenn Tate has written in his novels I really believe that a lot of that is going to come true and probably sooner than we think so speaking of James Wesley Rawls the author of the uh, Patriot book series uh, my good friend and listener Cal Wilson who is also a survival author had a chance to interview Mr. Rawls and that's what this episode is so Let's get right into it. James Wesley Rawls, author of the Patriot book series and many other book series. If you Google his name, I'll put a link in the show notes and everything like that. And if you Google his name, if you've never heard of Mr. Rawls, uh, check it out. I think you're really going to enjoy his writings. Let's get started. Welcome to Today's Survival. My name is Cal Wilson. I'll be your guest host today. I have written a couple of books on prepping, dirt cheap, valuable prepping, uh, the camouflage cross, and soon EMP. But we're not here today to discuss my books. We're here today to discuss the writings of today's guest, Mr. Jim Rawls. And uh, let me read this uh, intro. Um, James Wesley, comma, Rawls is an is an American author best known for his survivalist genre, Patriots novel series. Rawls is a former U.S. Army intelligence officer. He is the founder and senior editor of survivalblog.com, which covers survival and preparedness topics. Rawls has also published collected material from Survival Blog in two books. Uh, He also works as a survival retreat consultant, uh, which I didn't know, but uh, Rawls is a constitutionalist Christian libertarian. On his book covers, in his signature, on his checks, in his blog, uh, he signs his legal name. He presents his name, quote, James, James Wesley, comma, Rawls, using a comma to distinguish between his given and family names. Anyway, thanks, Jim. Uh, welcome to Today's Survival. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Cal. And just uh, kind of out of left field, I, um, how does someone engage you for your consulting services? I guess is that done through the website? They would just uh, go through my blog site and email me. Okay. Uh, I have 
usually only two or three clients per week. So my my schedule is fairly open to entertain questions from consulting clients. It's usually people who are looking for advice on a particular uh, type of retreat architecture or a particular retreat locale. Okay, okay. Well, uh, my wife and I might be uh, contacting you on that. Um, first off, how did you get started in prepping? Uh, when And when about when was that? Well, I've actually been involved in the preparedness world ever since my teenage years. Um, I grew up in Livermore, California, which is the home of Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. And it's a, a high-value target, a nuclear target structure, at least mm-hmm. it used to be during war. So growing up there um, and being surrounded by a bunch of kids who are the, the children of physicists, and in fact, my dad worked in um, pure research in particle physics at the lab, uh, I had a very high recognition of the nuclear threat. And because of that, I think that that survival mindset really never wore off. I've always been very preparedness-minded and have always taken active steps to prepare for my family. So that was when you were just growing up, it sounds like, and throughout throughout your whole life. Yes, yeah, it's... Um, it's. I look at it more of a of a lifestyle than I do, or a any kind of obsessive preoccupation. I certainly haven't allowed it to um, interfere with having a, a productive career, raising a family, and so forth. But a lot of the choices that I've made have played into where I've decided to live. Okay. How about the Survival Blog, the website? Um, when and how did you start that? Well, I started Survival Blog um, 10 years ago, back in 2005, in part to promote my books, but also because I'd always wanted to do a newsletter, and blogs were just starting to take off at that time, and I realized that if I could be the, f- the first person who was a subject matter expert, to jump into that niche that the blog could be quite popular. And, in fact, it it was. It's turned out to be um, one of the most popular blogs on family preparedness and survival that's out there. We initially kind of cornered the market, and even though there's uh, umpteen competitors out there, Mm -hmm. it's still considered the standard reference. And now we have 10 years' worth of archives that are fully searchable. So um, when people go looking for information on any particular topic that relates to family preparedness, whether it's food storage or communications or um, first aid equipment and whatever, uh, we end up uh, very highly ranked by the search engines and... Um, we're still considered a, a standard reference. And it's a free website too, right? I mean, it's, I'm sorry, what was that? It, it's a free website. Oh, yes, it's all free and fully searchable. Again, there's 10 years' worth of archives, at, and there's a lot of static pages as well that um, are fully searchable. There is no super-secret members-only area or anything like that. It's all fu- fully available, fully searchable. We do publish a archived DVD once a year. In fact, we just had our 10th anniversary edition 
but mm. there's no need for people to, to purchase that. They can actually, uh, it's a little bit methodical to do, but you can actually download everything out of the archives and, and build your own archive if you'd like. Yeah, I thought I, I thought there was like a like a Kindle book version available. I, I seem to remember having that on my on my Kindle. Is that right? Uh, well, we don't have the uh, we don't have a um, a paid um, version of the blog. It's all freely available. the The only way you'd end up paying for anything would be as if you were to buy either the archive DVD uh, or to download it. You can also uh, get a paid download of the entire archive. Okay. But again. There's no obligation to do that. Sure, sure. Well, I can say as a um, as somebody who reads a lot of uh, survival uh, and prepper type websites that uh, survival blog is is great. It's got I think once a day there's a huge article published by somebody who's not um, you know who's who's not like a columnist uh, with a deadline. I think these are real preppers who've spent half their life you know. Uh, working on whatever subject they're talking about, like, you know, comms or off-grid power or, uh, I don't know, aloe vera. I'm just naming subjects off the top, you know. Uh, right. So, uh, and it's kind of funny, the uh, the authors give their, their um, pen names, and so it's not like they're publishing something that they can brag to the world about. They, they might brag to their prepper friends, but I think that's it. So it's extremely... Well researched and well done article once a day on different different topics uh, on that website. So I would rec- recommend everybody go there. Survivalblog.com. Thank you, Cal. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention: um, somewhere on the left of uh, Survivalblog.com is a list of lists, which is a spreadsheet, and it's it's also free. And maybe you can tell tell our listeners what that is. Sure. Um- I encourage people to be systematic in their preparedness for their family. I realize that most people are on on quite limited budgets, so it's important to prioritize your lists of training, of gear that you're going to buy, of storage food, bulk fuel, and so forth. So in order to prioritize, people really need to be systematic, and I created what I call the list of lists, which includes like a a food storage list, a communications list, a home security list, and so on. And that's in the form of an Excel spreadsheet. People can download that free of charge and then tailor that list to match their particular circumstances because there is no one-size-fits-all solution for preparedness. It all depends on the stage of life of an individual, their marital status, their, lo- their location is crucial. Obviously, the preparedness you'd need for, you know, the thumb of Michigan versus uh, the panhandle of Texas versus the panhandle of Florida is substantially different. Uh, also, people need to take into account any chronic health conditions they have, uh, their particular lifestyle, their work. There's a lot of things that go into building these lists, and again, there's no one-size-fits-all solution. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I found it very informative. Um, let me back up for a second. Um, <clears throat> uh, I thought we might talk about your non-fictional books uh, first, and then maybe uh, talk about uh, Land of Promise, which is a fa- fascinating book. Um, I have one uh, non-fiction prepper book, and my experience has been, uh, you know, somebody somewhere, uh, you know, on a podcast or whatever, recommends the book, and then I see it a handful of Kindle sales. And then a uh-huh. week or then a week or two later I see some I see some paperback sales. It's like the Kindle books are like an audition. And I think what's going on among the prepper world is pe- preppers are putting together physical libraries of books. And um, anyway I think for your the nonfiction books that you have, including list of lists uh, which can be printed out, uh, I thought they would be a great addition to any any prepper's library, uh, is if I'm correct, that that's what's going on. Uh, you have well, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I've actually published three different nonfiction books. Uh, one is called Rawls on Retreats and Relocation, which was privately published, and the, most of the content there was pulled straight out of the blog. And in fact, it's available at a static page entitled Retreat Locales at the blog site. Again, at survivalblog.com. And I published two other books. Uh, they were both uh, picked up by uh, Penguin, and they've been bestsellers for Penguin. One is called How to Survive the End of the World as We Know It, and the other is titled Tools for Survival. And the majority of the content in both of those books also came either directly or indirectly from the blog. Uh, and those books are your real practical, how-to, hands-on, nuts-and-bolts sorts of books that cover most of the major topics that concern American families for disaster preparedness and self-sufficiency. And those books have sold quite well. And my nonfiction books tend to complement my fiction books although even the fiction books themselves have been referred to as survival manuals dressed as fiction. With my novels, most people end up reading them twice, the first time through for fun and the second time through with a yellow highlighter in their hand and a notepad taking notes. Yep. I try to squeeze a lot of practical, tactical tips into a fictional storyline. Yeah, that Patriots book, I think I've read four or five times now, and that you're right, that, that kind of counts as a nonfiction Wrapped up in a fictional book, <clears throat> you know that's probably when you started the uh, the website too, right? When you first came mm-hmm. out with Patriots, right? Actually, although I I wrote uh, Patriots, the first draft of that was written in the winter of 1990-1991, when I was first building my first ranch house in Idaho. Wow! So um, it's. It's really been a labor of love, and it's kind of morphed over the years, and it's, uh, parts of it are actually a little bit dated now because so much of it was written so far back. A lot of the technologies have changed in regard to um, uh, night vision equipment and, and thermal night vision now, which would um, fairly radically change the this, this storyline of the book if I were to write it now. And, in fact, the last installment in that book series, which is titled Liberators, which is set primarily in Western Canada, talks a lot about the thermal night vision threat. Yeah. Countermeasures to it. Excuse me. Yeah, I, I can imagine anything technological 
uh, would would need to be updated or or, or would be out, outdated. But I remember reading Patriots, and it kind of gives you a feel like like you're right there. You know, how would you handle uh, this situation when the when the Schumer hits the fan? Uh, you know. <laughs> Isn't there a guy named Schumer? I'm sorry. What was that? Isn't there a guy named Schumer somewhere? I, I vaguely remember the name Schumer off the top. Uh, yeah, I, that's a joke. I, sorry. I, I can't claim credit for coining that myself, uh, but I, I think I did popularize uh, using when the Schumer hits the fan as a polite way uh, spill that out. Um, both in my novels and in my blog, I, I try to refrain from profanity, and uh, I didn't mind putting in a little dig in against one of my least favorite senators. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, just going down the list, if I can ask you just a couple of issue questions here. Um, sure. Uh, flashlights, you recommend having multiple flashlights, uh, preferably Gerber flashlights, I noticed. Uh, and yeah. Go ahead. And, and I, wrote, I wrote that oh, two or three years ago, and there may be some new ones out that are, that are better. But what I like about the Gerber... Um, in particular, they make a model called the Gerber Omnivore, and it is a flashlight that will actually use three different types of batteries, making it, now that, hence the name Omnivore, uh, a very versatile flashlight. I tend to run, run mine with uh, CR123 batteries uh, because they have pretty high energy density, and when you, when you combine a high energy density battery with an LED flashlight, with adjustable levels, uh, you can end up with a flashlight with a, an extremely long runtime. Mm -hmm. uh, it occurred to now, me for tactical use, I, I would actually be using something much smaller with a red filter installed, and I actually have some other uh, flashlights. Oh, like um, like Magnolite. That are optimized for that, but for just day-to-day -day use, uh, I think that's probably one of the best flashlights out there. It occurred to me that Gerber also has some good um, machetes and multi-tools out there. Uh, oh, they so certainly do, yes. Um, the, um, in fact, the castings for all of the Gerber, Gerber multipliers are done uh, in the Spokane Valley, which is not too far from where I live. Um, that's here in the American Redoubt. The, the Gerber multiplier, I think, is, is one of the better ones made although I'm particularly fond of a Leatherman multiplier that's referred to as the Leatherman Wave, and that's the one I usually carry. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you come right down to it, all of the American-made multipliers are essentially comparable in terms of their gripping strength and the versatility of the tools. It's just if you get a full-blown model, uh, you, whether it's a Gerber or a Leatherman, you're going to end up with a, a really nice tool. Both of them offer fantastic warranties. Basically, if you, you break it, they'll replace it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a tool that will last you a lifetime if properly cared for. Yeah, I'm a um, very satisfied customer of a couple of Gerber machetes that also have a wood saw on the backside, which uh -huh. I thought was a great idea. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the, the brand Gerber. Um, also, um, in your books, you talk about food preservation and uh, canning, uh, mm -hmm. which I, th I find to be pretty uh, informative. Um, 
the I guess the first thing that kind of confused me when I started canning is that it doesn't involve cans. You know, it's it involves. You know, <laughs> well, although you can do it that way, but it's uh, it's actually fairly popular in Western Canada still to uh, do metal canning, but the equipment for it is fairly expensive. And most families are not set up for that. They're they're set up to can with jars, which means buying replacement lids. Although there is a reusable plastic lid made for ball or or cur uh, mason jars called a tatler lid. It's it's T A T T L E R, and they are truly reusable. Whereas uh, the USDA and pretty much any reliable source I've ever read uh, highly discourages reusing metal canning lids. It just isn't safe. And you encourage uh, people to get the biggest possible pressure canner, is that correct? Yes, uh, definitely pressure, uh, a pressure canner is the way to go uh, for most canning. And uh, you can always run a pressure canner in an unpressurized mode as just a water bath canner. So if, if anyone can afford it, I would say look for the largest pressure canner that they can find that's modern, that would have a modern pressure relief valve, and um, you're, you're set for a lifetime. They are fairly expensive. Uh, you can find them used, and the replacement gaskets are available if you, if you end up with an older model. Uh, if, you, if you shop around, you can find replacement uh, gasket to put an older pressure canner back in service. But again, y- you can run it both in a pressurized mode or as a water bath canner. Mm-hmm. Well, I, we've got a uh, All-American, and I think that was, I think we paid over $300 for it, but we're, we're still happy with it, and we've been doing yeah, a lot of, lot of canning. That's what we have here at our ranch as well is the All-American, and uh, we really like it. Yeah. Um, a few months ago, our power went out, and um, we were tempted to just, you know, drive, drive the family through some fast food place, but instead we pulled out some canned uh, stew, and uh, just warmed it up, you know, from three years earlier, and uh, it was it was really good. I was I was pretty impressed. Uh, so anyway, I definitely recommend canning. Yeah, power failures do make a good shakedown operation. In fact, one of the things I recommend in in my books and in my blog is to uh, pick a three day weekend, come home on a Friday night, and uh, turn off your main circuit breaker. And say, okay, family, we're going to have a three-day test to see how well we do without power. And if you really want to do it uh, full-blown, you, you could also unplug your telephone and uh, remove the batteries from your cell phone and also turn off your natural gas or propane wow. for a full, full-blown test. But that really is a test that most people skip doing, but they really should do, because it'll, it'll really um, expose some of the flaws in people's preparedness. Yeah. Or uh, the test can be done for you when your power company uh, has a brownout or something. That happens in our neighborhood a lot. Yeah. You know? But, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good, good advice. Um, and, uh, anyway, your medical um, comments, especially in Tools for Survival, I thought were really good. Half of Americans don't have a standard first aid kit, and uh, your advice was to get a, not only a, sta- a first aid kit, but add a lot of stuff to it, uh, like 
you know, like quick clot, uh, gloves, uh, burn gel, hydrocortisone cream, uh, which I recently used for on my uh, poison oak uh, and baby shampoo. I think that was that was good advice. <laughs> yeah, I, I do recommend that that people get a not just a a, a boo boo kit, a first aid kit, but a a full blown trauma kit and the training to go with it. And as with all preparations, I think it's really crucial to train to the best of your ability with the best sources you can find and that you can afford to really get the, the most out of your, your, your preparedness. Uh, I've often been quoted as saying that owning a gun doesn't make anyone a qualified shooter any more than someone owning a surfboard making them a surfer. Mm-hmm. You, really need, you really need to get the training to go with these things. And it's, it's one thing to say, hey, yeah, I've got a wheat grinder sitting there, but if you've never used it, you're, you're behind the power curve. Mm-hmm. And same goes for whether it's a wood stove or a piece of communications equipment or a firearm or whatever. Always get the training to go with it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure um, how, how true it was, but I saw the, one of the Amazon reviews under Quick Clot. Uh, talked about somebody having used having an accident with a circular saw, um, uh-huh. you know. And uh, fortunately, some quick clot powder was nearby, and sounds like it might have saved the guy's hand uh, because it stopped it stopped the blood bleeding on the way to the air or on the way to the hospital. Yeah, um, I I'm a fairly big believer in uh, quick clot and sea locks and the and the other anticoagulants. But just keep in mind that when you use them, if you end up going to a hospital and they stitch you up, they're probably going to end, end up debreeding part of that out of the wound, which can be a painful process. But it sure beats dying of, of hemorrhaging out. So mm-hmm. uh, do keep them on hand. And um, uh, I think that um, it's wise to keep a trauma kit in your vehicle and a separate kit at home. Because you never know when you're going to come across an accident, and you may end up being the, the first responder. And in most states, they have good Samaritan laws that allow you to, to do your very best to save lives, even if you, may, even if you end up botching it, yeah. you won't be held uh, liable mm-hmm. if your intentions are good. Yeah, there was also um, some really good gun advice in uh, especially the Tools for Survival book, um, Guns and Knives and Archery. Uh, it mm-hmm. seemed like the whole last uh, third of the book. Uh, I remember starting reading it, and and I thought, well, I need a I need a yellow highlighter, you know. And then the next page, uh, same thing. And then the, the page after that, I thought, you know, I I, don't, I guess I'll, I'll run out of yellow ink or something if I gave that a try. It, it was very informative. Well, thank you. Um, it, I didn't know there were so many details to be known about guns. I mean, like any other red-blooded uh, American guy, I have my own uh, small arsenal, you know. But <laughs> I don't, I don't have all the, uh, I don't know all the details that that are in this book. And uh, like, for example, antique guns, uh, bef- guns made before 1899. Uh, see, I didn't know you didn't need. There's no paper trail on those, right? Well, <laughs> we're fortunate in America that we do have access to firearms. A lot of the readers of my blog um, 
live in places like uh, England, for example, where their access is very limited and where the uh, local constabulatory expects them to, to stop physical attacks with nothing more than harsh language. So uh, I do feel blessed to live in the United States where we do have access to guns. I do encourage my readers, though, to recognize the fact that the political climate might change, and if your local laws allow it, I recommend buying guns through, uh, from private parties secondhand rather than new guns from gun stores where you're filling out a federal form that's going to be on, on file forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting you said that. The, um, you know, the Heller decision, which um, uh, enhanced gun rights, uh, under the Second Amendment was a five to four decision, and one of those five votes, uh, Scalia has has just recently passed away. Yes, so uh, things may change uh, radically, especially if we end up with several Supreme Court justices retiring and being replaced by uh, people that are in the Kagan and Sotomayor camp. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a scary prospect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, these books, uh, How to Survive Teotihuacan and Tools for Survival, um, I, I, if I can sum them up, I think they just, um, they read like somebody who is extremely knowledgeable yourself, you know, just sitting down and talking to somebody at where to begin and where to end up and the pitfalls along the way. So uh, I'd recommend people buy these and include them uh, in, their, in their libraries. Uh, very good. Very good books. Um, well done. Um, I think we'll run a little low on time, but I wanted to ask you a few questions about Land of Promise. I know this uh, is kind of a uh, departure from the Patriot series, uh, and it's a fascinating book. It's, if I can, am I correct? It's a ba- basically a how-to book on setting up on setting up a new country to be to be a refuge for Christians. Is that about right? Yeah, that's essentially it. Uh, It's essentially a think piece to get people motivated to um, team up internationally to find the resources to establish Christian nations of refuge, because I think they're going to be needed in the near future. It's essentially something analogous to the uh, creation of the modern state of Israel in the late 1940s. And in this case, because of the wave of persecution of Christians that's going on in the Islamic world, I think there's a desperate need for not just one, but several nations of refuge that can at least issue passports to people so they have an opportunity to get out of those countries and hopefully make a, a new start. Yeah. And in Land of Promise, I, in the fictional storyline, I tried to outline exactly what would be required in the modern context to create a new sovereign nation. And one flavor of what such a nation might be, in this case, I kind of killed two birds with one stone. I I made it both a Christian nation of refuge and a minimalist government libertarian nation. So it gave me the opportunity to, to write about a lot of different things. And it's just the, the first volume of what is planned to be a six or seven novel series that's going to follow this fictional Eleni Republic in Eastern Africa mm-hmm. uh, out over the course of 40 or 50 years. Well, it's not so far-fetched. Uh, in your author's note at the end of the book, you discuss new, new countries 
that are popping up even today, like uh, Lib- Liberland. I had never heard of that one. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that, that news actually came out while I was writing the book, and it was a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Um, I actually found their um, national anthem. It's, it's quite patriotic. I felt like standing up when I... When I <laughs> Um, there's also some place called Sealand, which is an abandoned uh, naval um, naval stand off the coast of England. And yeah, it was a, it was a naval gun emplacement from World War II that was abandoned, and um, because it was outside of the uh, territorial waters of what's normally considered the United Kingdom, uh, some in the 1960s uh, realized that it was. Uh, it was terra incognita. It was, it was unclaimed territory, and they just claimed it. And he declared himself the king of Sealand. Yeah, some guy just showed up and, and claimed it for himself, right? Something like that. The family's been there ever since, and uh, most recently, it's been used as a offshore server platform. I think primarily for European uh, online ga- uh, gambling sites to uh, escape the the sovereign interests of the United Kingdom or any other sovereign nation in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of a, a clever use of um, the, this peculiar sovereign status of, of this, uh, this little platform out in the middle of the North Atlantic. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. There's also that chunk of land between uh, Egypt and Sudan, uh, which is disputed, but um, like you said in your book, that would not have been a good um, place for a Christian refuge. You know, between no, certainly not. Not with uh, Islamics on either side. Yeah. And in fact, I, it, for the sake of drama for this novel series, I picked a piece of territory that was uh, that had one Islamic neighbor, Ethiopia. Uh, it's a, a region known as the Alemi Triangle, which is a, a little triangle of land. Um, yeah, above, not that little, it's, it's 15,000 square kilometers, but it sits on the uh, border of South Sudan and Kenya with Ethiopia neighboring to the north. And it's a disputed piece of territory. And I realized that when I went to go research this book that it, it might be interesting for the storyline since there's essentially no place on Earth, perhaps, other than uh, parts of Antarctica that are truly unclaimed territory, that it might be uh, realistic to assume that you could take a piece of disputed territory and a way for both of the nations that uh, have a dispute over that land to disentangle themselves from that dispute is to grant that piece of land to a third party. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I described in the book. Yeah, you might have already touched on this, but um, I was wondering how much of today's news headlines are, are kind of in, inspiration for, for the book. And if I could, I'd, I'd like to read one, one part of the book here. Um, sure, go ahead. The, the guy, Rick, um, you know, sounds like he's uh, approving passports and citizenships. And uh, he gets this letter um, dear cousin Rick, you may not remember me, but we met at your cousin Janice's wedding six years ago. We're third cousins. I'm the former publisher of 21st Century Christian Worldview, which had both a weekly updated website and a bi-monthly hard copy magazine. I was forced to relocate my publishing business from California to Wyoming 
in 2040 because of the advent of a California law that mandated equal time slash equal space slash equal access in all media for LGBTT 2QQAA II PDPPANGNAA peoples. Um, that stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, transsexual, two-spirit, queer, questioning, intersex, intergender, uh, asexual, allies, pansexual, uh, demisual, I guess that's the necrophiliacs, uh, polysexual, polyamorous, androgynous, neutrous, gender neutral, and animal amorous. I guess that's bestial. (laughs) I'll have to look up half these words. Anyway, fast forward. uh, So continuing on with the letter. Fast forward a few years, things were fine with continuing to publish in Wyoming until a new federal law that mirrored the California law was enacted last year as part of the omnibus crime bill. Well, of course. The day after that new law was announced, I got a filthy-mouthed email from my old nemesis, a self-described genderqueer anti-Christian witch hunter, (laughs) bragging about how he was going to relish writing a 10-page article titled Jesus was secretly bi and you know, had various relations, quote-unquote. Um, for me, that was last straw. I decided to completely shut down and both the online and print edition, I thought that would be the end of my travail, but I got a lawsuit for 750,000 new euros in damages because I had terminated publishing operations in order to perpetuate discrimination and to avoid prosecution. Oh, and the venue was for the trial was in San Francisco, which, as we all know, is game, set, and match. Um, To make a long story short, I lost my house and most of my retirement savings to a court judgment in favor of the plaintiff. And then he goes on to request uh, citizenship in this new country, Illimi, um, after discussing a few more options that sound pretty unrealistic. That sounds... I mean, as attorney, I can say that that sound that's not too far-fetched, you know, that a law someday will be passed um, to allow, quote-unquote, equal access. And any publication that shuts down in, in response to that law, you know, might be sued because supposedly they're trying to perpetuate the discrimination that happened before the law. You know, I could see that happening. Yes, it, it very well could. If you look at what's gone on with recent court precedents here in the United States, it is a, a serious threat. Now, I, I did go a little bit over the top when I expanded the LGBT, whatever. Um, well, it was funny. <laughs> but uh, if you'll notice, over the years, it's kept growing. Oh, yeah. Uh, they used to just say, you know, gay and bisexual, or gay or, or gay and homosexual, and then they added transsexual, and they keep adding and adding to it. So I, I figure that by 2040, they may have an acronym that long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was reading this on the plane, and I laughed out loud when I saw it, but then, but then it occurred to me this might really happen someday, so it wasn't so funny. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I guess you're right. That, that's kind of today's headlines uh, extrapolated uh, another yes. 30, that- 40 years, you know. In, in fact, I guess, like any other science fiction that's worth writing, it 
takes existing technologies and current uh, social trends and merely extrapolates. And that's what I tried to do in this new book series. Again, the, the novel is called Land of Promise. Mm-hmm. And uh, with it, I'm really hoping to wake people up and make them realize that we really no longer live in a free country. People still say it's a free country, but essentially it no longer is. And people need to think outside the box. And for me, I I was logically led to the conclusion that there's a need for a new sovereign nation that's built on a, on a different model with a severely limited government where there's a close to no government at all. It's as close to anarchy as you get, but still have a functioning government. And I think that's most appropriate in a frontier society, because frontier societies tend to be uh, fairly homogenous, uh, and they tend to have people that want to help each other because of living in frontier conditions, they're pretty much obliged to help each other and get along. Well, it occurred to me that this new country as designed, Elemi, would be kind of a mix of Israel, uh, the pre-1997 Hong Kong, uh, maybe the Cayman Islands, and, and the United States before FDR. You know, that's yeah. a lot of... like West, yes. I mean, a lot of pro-economic... This might be a boom town, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So um, that's what, I, what I'm hoping to accomplish with this series is to, again, get people thinking along those lines and hopefully uh, making that happen. That's, that's my fondest desire, is to see, it, see a, a Christian homeland nation actually formed because there's hundreds of thousands of people, soon to be millions of people, who are under the iron heel of oppression in Islamic countries, and they are going to need a means of escape. And it seems like the tolerance for all that is becoming more and more commonplace here in the United States. It's it's pretty sad, you know. Um, yes, indeed. In fact, I, I think you know I'm a think of myself as a Christian uh, patriot, and when when all the news headlines keep coming out, you know, there's there's that initial feeling of of dejection, you know, where I just I just feel like somebody should throw a blanket over me, and then. Um, you know, I kind of pick myself up and just think I got to keep on fighting any way I can. But I'm feeling like there are, are fewer and fewer people like me willing to engage. You know, I think there are more people more inclined to just throw in the towel and say, "Where, where can we get another country that will be protecting of Christians?" You know. Yes, and and one of the great dilemmas is that even though our individual liberty has been degraded greatly in the United States. There are very few countries that, uh, other than taxation, offer much of a reasonable alternative. Because if you look at the countries that have reasonable gun laws, for example, they um, often have a a high tax rate, uh, like in Scandinavia, for example. And if you look at a country that has no personal income tax, Often that's a country uh, that either doesn't allow homeschooling or doesn't allow private possession of firearms or whatever. So there, unfortunately, is no magic utopia out there. 
And I encourage people to think along the lines of helping to, to, to build something close to that, uh, whether it's seasteading, whether it's a, uh, a micronation or a mini-nation out there that's formed, or in terms of, of actually petitioning national governments to, to form an enclave within a sovereign nation, uh, that would be a dedicated refuge. That, again, that it's unfortunate, but all the real estate on this planet is spoken for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, anyway, I, I think we've run out of the time we uh, devoted for this. Uh, I just wanted to thank you for this. Um, is there anything you wanted to add, uh, anything I interrupted, and you wanted to complete uh, a thought or two or anything like that? Well, I just encourage all of your listeners to, to get right with God and um, sit down and seriously pray about whether or not you should be preparing to provide for your families in a time of disruption. Mm-hmm. And if you feel, uh, following that prayer, if you feel convicted to prepare, that you don't hesitate, that you go ahead and do it, even if it mean, means uh, reordering your priorities for your budget um, in terms of, you know, foreign travel or that jet ski you have planned to buy or a big screen TV, there really are more important things to spend your money on in terms of providing for your family since we do live in a very fragile world. Uh, Get prepared, folks. It is time to stock up and to team up and to train up. Mm -hmm. Well said. Thanks. Uh, What's what's next for for Jim Rawls? Uh, Your your next books or appearances or... Blog. Yeah, I'm writing the second book in the um, Counter-Caliphate Chronicle series. The first book, of course, was Land of Promise. The second book is called Peace of Resistance, and it primarily describes a war of resistance in Nigeria 30 years in the future after Nigeria has become a Islamic state. Mm-hmm. And I'm right in the middle of writing that one, and it probably won't be released until 2017. Hmm. Okay. Well, I still think Elimi, if if it ever does come about, uh, will be a boom town. I mean, it, aside from the critical infrastructure, which is, is has to be built, um, but I think everything else in place uh, just has the number of ingredients from from very strong economies in, in from the past, like Hong Kong before it reverted. You know that kind of thing. Very impressive. Anyway, uh, I, I sure appreciate you joining us. Uh, thank you for appearing on Stay Survival and all, fo- and all of your life's work on advising preppers and uh, maintaining the Survival Blog website. Thanks very much. Thank you so much for having me on, Cal, and I, I pray the 91st Psalm for you and all your listeners. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much. Thanks. Talk to you later. Thank you, gentlemen. That was an informative interview. One of the things that stood out for me in that interview was when Mr. Rawls talked about prepping in modern survival as a mindset and a lifestyle. And I've said that many times on this show. It's a it's a mindset. It's a lifestyle. It's something you make a commitment to. And nobody says you have to be real vocal about it. Some of you like to stay kind of private, and that's okay. Uh, as you know me, I'm kind of a, a vocal kind of guy. I like to talk about it as much. I don't talk about everything, though, that me and my family do. But I, that's what really stood out for me, and I hope you got a lot out of this. Ladies and gentlemen, if you like this show, if this show helps you 
and you want to support the show, as you probably have figured out, I don't have a whole lot of sponsors. I don't have any sponsors, and that's been by design. I've been putting this show out now uh, over six years. And I, I don't want this to be full of a lot of commercials. But if you want to support me, whenever you make a purchase on Amazon, just go to todayssurvival.com first. Click the Amazon store and then make your purchases through Amazon. Uh, I, I'm an Amazon affiliate. That way Amazon will pay me every month. And it's kind of a way that you can support the show. Uh, if you want to support it in a different way, uh, Ben Branham and myself... We are also uh, firearms trainers, and we do a, a video. We have a video membership, a video website called the Shooters Club, and you can watch some really good instructional uh, shooting videos and everything. So check that out. You can do that for eight, only eight dollars a month. So you can support this show for only eight dollars a month, or get a deal and do it for seventy-five dollars a year. We're giving away a free hat if you sign up between now and April thirtieth. So yeah, you can check that out. Go to www.todayssurvival.com. There are two S's in that web address, and uh, you can you can see there how you support the show. And I would be much appreciative if you would do that. Uh, I always welcome comments, questions. I welcome voicemails. 210-646-1727 is the number. I've received a couple of voicemails, and in the next episode, I'm going to address those. But that number, again, is 210-646-1727. Feel free to call the show with a comment, or just go to todayssurvival.com and put some comments under the uh, posting for this episode. Once again, folks, I'm Bob Main. This is today's survival show, helping you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. I'll catch you next time. Goodbye.